My name is Madeline. I'm a medical student and host of the Voices of Aging podcast out of the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. This week is Careers in Aging Week. For the occasion, we have a week's worth of episodes lined up from a variety of folks involved in aging work. Make sure to tune in every day this week to learn all you can about working in aging. Welcome to Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we invite people working in a variety of different fields related to aging and hear their stories. Tune in, either you're considering a career in aging, or want to learn more about aging fields, or simply want to listen to a stimulating conversation, you will find something you like. Find Voices of Aging on the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today our guest is Heather Davila. Dr. Davila is a postdoctoral fellow in the Center for Healthcare Organization and Implementation Research at the Boston VA System, as well as assistant professor at the Boston University School of Medicine. Hi, Dr. Davila. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I would love it if we could start just by having you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us more about what you're doing and what you're working on as it pertains to aging. So I've been a postdoc at the Boston VA for a little over two years, and my main focus has been for the last 10 years, actually, on programs and services for older adults. And so now I'm focusing on programs and services for older veterans. And um, I guess my main focus is really programs that can help veterans remain independent and at home as long as possible. And then for older adults in general, veterans and members of the general community, ensuring that they have good quality of care and quality of life when and if they ever need nursing home care. That's wonderful. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what inspired you to enter this field and perhaps specifically working with the veterans. So I I was actually working at the University of Minnesota in the School of Nursing. I was a um, research administrator and was had just started uh, doing my master's degree in public policy, public affairs at the Humphrey School at the University of Minnesota. And my grandparents, who lived in a rural community in Minnesota, entered a nursing home. And it was really the only option available to them in the small town that they lived. And they didn't have a lot of um, care needs that now in retrospect, in retrospect, I know they probably didn't really need to be in a nursing home, at least initially. But their experience there, there were just a lot of things that um, didn't make sense to me. My grandpa was hospitalized very frequently. They both had severe depression. And there were just other things like they couldn't have visitors, you know, and that they were very social. So I started talking with Christine Miller, who's uh, in the School of Nursing, and knew her because I worked with her a little bit. And she was doing research on improving the quality of nursing home care and specifically trying to make nursing homes more home-like for residents. So that is kind of how I got involved. And I switched at that time from general research administration to working with her on research 
focused on nursing home quality improvement and, and also started working for the Center on, it was Center on Aging at the time and, uh, started working with Dr. Bob Kane, who was also doing research in that area. So that's how I started out. Fantastic. If there are any specific reasons you can think of, I would love to hear about why you're interested in helping specifically the veteran population. Okay. So, um, Actually, my uh, interest in the VA came about more because as I learned about programs and services for older adults, I learned that the VA has actually led innovation in that area for the past 50 years. And so a lot of it was actually more about the VA and what the VA has done. When I first started working for the VA, I and I had seen some of the research that VA researchers were doing, and I was very interested in it. A lot of um, participant or community engaged research and innovative methods. And then when I joined the VA, I really just the mission of the organization. That's when that really captured me. And the research you can do at the VA is just phenomenal. And the veteran population, you know, people who have given so much to this country. So it really convinced me that I wanted to stay at the VA. So it sounds like we could be using the VA as a source of inspiration or um, an example of a way that services for older adults are working effectively. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's other organizations that are doing wonderful things too, but just for example, like interdisciplinary geriatrics team care kind of uh, team training, I should say, came out of the VA, home-based primary care, which has now uh, been nationally adopted and implemented by Medicare. That came out of the VA. Telehealth largely came out of the VA. So there's a lot of innovative things the VA has done around care for older adults and other populations as well. But it's not the on- only organization that's doing you know amazing things in that area, but it definitely is one of the leading ones. Yeah, that's great to hear. And it's, I don't know that at least as medical students, we're always considering the VA of as an example of a way that things are working well. Um, so I think that's important for graduate students to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. When you look back at your education, is there anything that you wish you had done differently to prepare for your current role or future role you're, you see yourself in? Well, since I ended up getting a PhD and going into research, the things that I wish I would have done differently relate more to that and less about kind of aging specifically. But um, for other students who are interested in going into like a research career, for me, I wish I had taken more statistics classes. I did take some, but I focused on that during my postdoc. And um, I wish I would have spent more time trying to develop my own um, research trajectory and getting more clear about that earlier on. But those are really the two things I could think of. And that can be challenging. I, I almost think research often evolves so much you you have to kind of adapt to it rather than deciding exactly what you want to do from the get-go. If you had to offer a piece of advice to current graduate students who are interested in pursuing a career in aging, whatever that may look like, what would that be? Well, I think getting involved, I don't know if you still call it ASIG, but I was one of the founding members of ASIG. And that honestly was one of my best experiences of graduate school. So I would say get involved in 
ASIG, work with other students? Because at least when I was a student, you know, there would be one of us or two of us in a program. And so those of us who are kind of interested in aging and gerontology were dispersed throughout the university. And so really developing a sense of community for those of you who are interested in that. So you can just share ideas and support each other. And then the other thing was I, in the course of my work in the Center on Aging and the School of Nursing, I got to work out in the field a lot with nursing home providers and with the state of Minnesota. That's the other thing I would say, get involved in like the Minnesota Gerontological Society and get out of your little bubble. I mean, you will because, you know, you're a medical student, so you're going to go out and you're going to do rotations and clinical students do that, but get to know people out in the community and learn from them about what's going on and what they see as the important areas to focus on and develop those relationships because they can lead to jobs too. Yeah, that's great advice. Networking is so important. And I think the those of us who are interested in careers in aging, we don't come across each other too often. So I think that um, the larger group of us is important to stay involved in. I would love to hear what you see as a current gap in care or lack in resources for the aging community. And perhaps this can be connected to something maybe you're currently working on. So it's something I'm starting to work on and something I I want to do and plan to do more of in the future, but really community-based services for older adults and especially in rural areas. And there's so many workforce issues. I'm thinking specifically of home care, but really any kind of, I mean, there's a, a lack of primary care physicians, geriatricians, pharmacists, mental health professionals. So part of it is, you know, finding ways to, I think, incentivize or find new models so those services are accessible. And then also using technology more. And um, there was a, I think it's a, trying to remember if it was Walmart, but it's a VA partnership where they're doing some clinical services for older veterans in like Walmarts and stuff. So I think just looking at innovative ways to reach people in rural areas so they so they don't have to and it, and it actually it's an issue in urban areas as well so people don't have to go to nursing home unless it's really absolutely necessary yeah i think that's really important yeah. and then just one other thing about uh, not on that specific topic but just i think you know younger people have so many have different ways i mean everybody does but different ways of thinking about things and innovative ideas about even how to just kind of think about aging. And I think we need to think out of the box more with some of those things too, just more broadly, not just about long-term care and services. That's definitely true as well. Uh, I think maybe even taking inspiration from other systems in other countries, things like that. Yep. What's something that you find to be uh, quite rewarding about the work that you do? And on the flip side, what would you say, what is something that's more challenging? I'll start with the challenge. Uh, the kind of work I decided to do, like at the VA, and this is true in a lot of places, but doing research in the kind of environment I work, it's totally dependent on getting grants. So the challenge is you always have, you're always busy because you're always, you know, trying to get more, get funding to do the work that you want to do. And so a lot of times it seems like you have too much work at some times and you might not have enough at others. But that I would say is is just part of it. And it's not, I don't know, I've, I haven't found that to be a big challenge yet, mainly because postdocs don't have, we're already funded, so you don't have to apply for funding as much. But the rewards, 
you know, I love doing research. So I find the work itself just rewarding because it's interesting. I care a lot about services for older people. And that passion really drives me. And um, because I'm a step removed, like as a clinician, you'll actually probably work with older adults. I don't usually unless I'm interviewing them. And so I don't feel that direct immediate reward from at that at that level, but just feeling like I can make a contribution and help other people who are doing doing that direct work to provide evidence about, you know, how can we do things better? That is um, rewarding me. And then also just working with other people who share similar passions. I, I really enjoy that too. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important to keep in mind. If, you know, if you're not directly working with a specific population of people, that doesn't mean that you can't make a huge impact on the care that they ultimately receive. Yeah. To bring things to a more personal level, if you're comfortable, I would like to hear about perhaps any changes in your thinking that have occurred based on the work that you do related to the current care or future care of older adults in your own life? I think two main things. One is, and I've just learned this from working with a number of geriatricians and other you know, nurse practitioners and people who specialize in geriatrics, but if uh, my parents or another older person gets advice from one provider, and it's not a geriatric specialist, I always, if it's something that could result in a dramatic, you know, it's not just like, here, take an aspirin, but something more dramatic, I was like, just really get a second opinion about that. Or, you know, don't just trust everything you hear, because a lot of people, they, a lot of clinicians, they really don't have expertise in caring for older adults. And the advice that they give is sometimes not the best. And then the second is really more related to long-term care. And people, for example, you know, dad will talk about, oh, you know, we're thinking about assisted living in the future. And and I just always encourage people in my life to think about what services can you get in your own home when you need, you know, when you need a little bit of help. You don't need to think, the first thing you think shouldn't be, oh, we need to go to assisted living. Why don't you have somebody mow your lawn for you or do your laundry? You know, so it's, I think a lot of times people take too big of a leap. Um, at the same time, sometimes people aren't always thinking ahead. And that's a problem too. But just, you know, there's a lot of a lot of home care and other options available to people. And so, you know, most people want to stay at home. And there's often way to stay at home for quite a while. So those are two things. I love both of those sentiments. And I often think about how separate pediatrics is from Mm -hmm. adult care. But yet, Mm -hmm. although we have geriatricians, it's not as prevalent um, as it would be for care for a child. But I think that it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's always an interesting thing to think about. Mm -hmm. As we wrap things up here, it's often assumed that the aging population has a collective wisdom of experience that we all can learn from. So I would love to hear if you have any nuggets of wisdom to pass along that you've heard from an older adult. I don't know if he would appreciate me calling him an older adult, older adult, although he was, but um, Dr. Kane, who was the former head of the Center on Aging, I worked for him for a number of years. And I remember when I was trying to decide about going to graduate school and which program, he, he said, you know, it's really not so important what 
degree is in. I mean, I think it's different if you're like in medicine or something, but for a PhD, he said it's not so important what your degree is in, but it's really important who you work with and who your mentors are. And I always think about that and just being thoughtful about who I'm learning from and who I'm working with and to value those relationships. And it just is something I often think about. And I think it was really wise advice. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice for all of us. Well, that's all that I have for you, Dr. Davila. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. And I'm glad to see you're doing this. I think it's a wonderful effort. Thank you. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. We are a collaborative networking group for students studying aging across the university. Stay tuned for the next episodes of Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts.